Kafka is a distributed log for producers and consumers to publish messages to each other. We have done many shows about Kafka as a key building block for distributed systems, but we often leave out the discussion of the complexities of setting up Kafka, doing monitoring on Kafka. Kafka deployments can be a complex piece of software to manage. Tom Crayford is an engineer at Heroku, where he helped engineer the recent Heroku Kafka product, which is a managed version of Apache Kafka. Our conversation explored the use cases of Kafka and how to build Kafka as a cloud service at scale. Full disclosure, Heroku is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, but I want you to know this is a topic I am genuinely interested in. It's often difficult to get cloud providers to talk in detail about how they are architecting their services. That's why I've never had AWS on the show. Uh, it's not for lack of trying. But this episode is a real treat, and I hope you enjoy it. It is a discussion of managed Kafka with Tom Crayford. Tom Crayford is an engineer with Heroku. Tom, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi. So we've done many shows on Kafka, and many of the listeners know what Kafka is. But for those who don't, why don't you explain what Kafka is and what problems it solves? Right. So Kafka is an interesting interesting piece of software. Um, a lot of people think of it as a, a queue, but it's really, it's really a, a system for doing uh, publish-subscribe messaging. Right, so you've got some some thing that needs to talk to something else, and you don't want to do it over TCP. Um, Kafka's a way to to do that communication. Uh, it's very scalable, very reliable, uh, and it has a number of like useful features for that kind of application. Um, I think that's that's most of it. Uh, oh, and it's distributed, so like you know, it scales it scales pretty well. It, it works very well, like with low numbers of machines, but it carries on working well with larger numbers. Um, yeah. So would you would you classify it as a message bus system? Yep, I think message bus is pretty pretty reasonable. Um, some some people have been saying big data message bus, and I don't love the the marketing phrase on big data, but it's it fits. So why can't we just have services communicating directly with each other whenever one service has something to say to another? Why do we need to put a message on a message bus and have other services consume it off of that message bus? That's a that's an awesome question. Uh, so there are a num- there are a number of potential problems, right? One of them is what happens if the consumer is down, right? Like say your database is down temporarily. Kafka, you know, in a because of the distribution, usually never takes downtime. But if your if your consumer is like writing to a MySQL database, or it's you know a web app and it needs to do a deployment and they haven't figured out zero downtime deployment yet, uh, like all of those things mean that there could be downtime, which means that your you suddenly have to worry about that downtime in your in your main app uh, or in whatever's doing producing. Sorry, uh, so that's that's one of the bits is handling failure, right? With Kafka, you can publish a message and you know that it's gone, but you don't care about anybody consuming it. Um, which means that if the person who needs to consume it is down right now, that doesn't matter. They can come along and pick up the same message later. Um, the other the other big thing is it lets you fan out your messages to multiple consumers without having to think about all the consumers in your application. Uh, for example, you might want to publish a, you might publish a message and want it to go to you know 10 different teams. 10 different teams might be interested in you know the fact that a user viewed a web page, for example. And 
you you don't want to have your your web application know that ten different teams and possibly you know many more exist. You'd like to just fire the message somewhere and have them know where that is. Absolutely. Kafka became popular at a time when there were a few other tools that were being used to solve this producer consumer pub sub messaging challenge. There were these things like zero MQ and rabbit MQ. What was distinguishing about Kafka? Cool. Uh, yeah. So the, the, there are, there are a few big things. Zero MQ doesn't have this failure handling, handling built into it properly. Zero MQ is really an abstraction over TCP sockets. People think of it as a message queue, but it's, it's kind of mostly not. And there's no place where the messages actually live. They just live on the sender's like list of messages to send. Which means that like when I've sent when I've said, hey, send a message in Zero MQ, that's still living on my machine until the consumer has received it, from my understanding. Um ActiveMQ, on the other hand, uh, especially you know, the, one of the more popular implementations, RabbitMQ, which I'm a bit more familiar with than many of the other implementations of that protocol, uh, that has a centralized broker the same as Kafka. Um the thing, the, the main difference between those two is that Kafka is a lot higher in performance. Um, and, well, so that's one big difference. Uh, another thing is Kafka is a lot simpler. Uh, and another thing is that, like, Kafka has this ability to do long-term, like, replay of your messages. So you can you can say, I'd like to keep messages around for seven days. And in RabbitMQ, you can't really do that. And that's a that's a very useful primitive in a lot of a lot of these kind of systems. I found it interesting that the uh, of all the different sectors of kind of big data tools, like you know you've got batch and streaming and and then message queuing and databases. A lot of the those applications, there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of contention around what tool you could use or what you should use. The one area where it seems like there's been a, a amount of consolidation is that messaging layer around Kafka. And now we've, we've had several years where Kafka has been this pub-sub queue of choice. So what are some of the typical use cases for how people use Kafka? Yep, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, there's there's a few. Um, I, I guess I could talk about our internal use cases because they sort of tip, some of them at least typify this. Or I could talk about oh, that'd be that'd be great because I mean okay. Heroku obviously has high volume of things that you're doing, lots of users, and so I'm sure there's some yep. interesting use cases. Yep, um, we actually have written about both of these use cases publicly on uh, either our engineering blog or our main blog. Um, so I'll talk about the this uh, fan out case that I sort of talk, talked about a bit briefly earlier. Uh, so we have a we have a system internally that's just called API, um, and API does a lot of does a lot of things, but it's mostly it's mostly around handling users and authentication and applications like events to applications. It doesn't actually run applications at all. It just knows, hey, this application exists. Hey, a user just did a new deploy to that, and then it orchestrates other systems downstream doing things. Um, as a result, API has a lot of knowledge in Heroku. It has an awful amount of knowledge about what happens internally. And a lot of teams want to have that knowledge, but they don't want to connect to API's database. Uh, they don't want to consume over a slow like HTTP API with polling. They just want to be notified, hey, you know, a user just did a new deploy to an app, or a user just created you know, a load of apps, or a user just changed the password, et cetera, et cetera. 
there's there's a load of different use cases. So what we have internally now is the system where inside the API uh, code base, where when it does something in a note, it publishes a messages to a message to Kafka, and then dozens of teams downstream read off that feed of messages and do interesting things based on them. Uh, I can I can talk about some of those uh, if that that would be helpful. Um, so let me think. So uh, as of like last year, we changed Heroku changed the way it prices free uh, application dynos, and the so. Like we we used to price them in one way, we now price them in a different way, and it, the the change there doesn't isn't that interesting. <laughs> but uh, the the application that determines whether you should be banned, like if you've exhausted the amount of free uh, dynos that you're allowed to run, that is a, just a downstream consumer. It just knows, hey, this user spun up this dyno, and they're a free user, and eventually it sends the thing back to API of. Oh yeah, this user should be banned. Most of the time, it just sits there silently consuming these messages, though. Um, and that team didn't have to, for the most part, didn't have to talk to the API. They didn't even have to change the API code base. Even though previously in Heroku, that is totally what you would do for a thing like this. You would you would change the API code base. Uh, they spun up this new service. It's small. It's isolated. It just consumes off the feed and does this one thing simply. Um, and there are there are dozens of dozens of things like that internally that consume off this feed and do interesting things, but the API code base never has to know about them, uh, which is a huge advantage. It, it, and that team no longer has to do code review on all these components. Like all these things used to live inside the API, so they used to have to do code review on all this stuff, and now that doesn't have to happen. So that that's kind of like we've got this centralized load of knowledge, or we've got this interesting load of knowledge, and. We'd like to spread this around the company and let lots of other people know about it. That's a very good use case for Kafka. Sure. So how do people typically... So, you know, obviously Heroku is a large company. Uh, you know, you can imagine... You can easily imagine a, a, a product that's at scale wanting to use Kafka. I mean, Kafka originated at LinkedIn where there was so many messages being passed around that needed to be distributed throughout the company that you know they they built this thing to help serve that purpose and it became the the data platform within the company but what about i mean a lot of the, the developers that use heroku like such as myself i uh you know i've got a, a bunch of little hobby applications on heroku um, I know there are also people with with big production applications on there, but at what point does a developer typically start to use Kafka? Like, what scale of application do you know starts to use Kafka, and and how do they typically get started? I think there's there's basically there's there's two use cases. Um, one of them is sort of growing out this existing out of this existing application and and people get started even at very small scales because they need to do this sort of knowledge transfer message bus kind of interaction right like they they have quite typically anyway they have a rails app and it has this it has a load of centralized knowledge and they need to distribute that now um they don't want like one code one code base being the bottleneck for the entire company um and those though that's one one very common use case is people people just pick pick up kafka even at very very small scales um you know you're talking like dozens of messages a second, which is extremely low throughput for Kafka, like extremely, extremely low. Um, the other the other use case is people building new kinds of applications uh, on top of Kafka. 
so again, I, I can talk about a different internal use case there. So the Heroku, Heroku has this metrics dashboard, which shows you how your application is performing. And all of that is powered uh, through Kafka. So when an HTTP request comes into your application, a message gets sent to Kafka, and then a downstream system sort of does aggregations off of Kafka um, to produce a dashboard eventually um, and a time series of you know how long the requests took, how much memory is used by the dyno, et cetera, et cetera. And there's kind of that kind of application is very high throughput. Um, we see we see a number of people reaching towards that kind of thing on Heroku as well, um, where they they want to do something new. They they want to do something very high throughput. They don't want to run everything themselves. Um, they like Heroku anyway, so they pick up Heroku Kafka. Mm, right. So let's let's start to motivate that conversation for yeah. for the listeners who don't know this. Heroku is uh, working on a service, or you're about to deploy a service that is, or deploy for public availability, that is a managed Kafka service mm-hmm. that takes away some of the uh, the starting and configuration problems and the ongoing maintenance problems, the operational challenges that come with using Kafka. And I would like to start to get into that. Um, so starting at the beginning, when somebody typically decides they're going to have an application that has Kafka um, as a component whether they are an early whether they, whether they're just you know starting to do it when there's you know tw- they're sending 12 messages across kafka per day or you know they've got some well developed application what are the challenges the early configuration and administration challenges that are required to get kafka up and running right uh, yeah i want to i want to just uh, prefix all of this answer with we are actually uh, generally available as of about 2 hours ago uh, from recording this podcast, that's on. Oh, okay, uh, wonderful. Twenty eighth of September. So, we're actually we're actually GA. Anybody can sign up and use it. Um, so, uh, there are a load of initial configuration challenges for sure. Um, one of the one of the obvious things is that Kafka is on the JVM, and maybe your team isn't used to running stuff on the JVM. Uh, that's that's just like a, a load of headaches in and of itself. Um, there's a load of things around Kafka's configuration files. Like there are a load of configuration settings that are actually pretty unsafe to run in production, um, but they're not called out very explicitly. Uh, they are they are in places, but you have to read through like reams of documentation and follow the mail list pretty closely to keep up to date with what are, what those things are. Um, and then you you actually have the problem of hey, like Kafka's a distributed system. Like we need to bring up some machines. Uh, we need to you need to set up Zookeeper behind Kafka because Kafka relies on Zookeeper for certain parts of consensus and data storage. Um, and setting all that up is just a, a ton of work. Um, and like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think, and then the, then there's ongoing, ongoing maintenance. Like, how do you deal with machines failing? Uh, how do you deal with EC2 having a network outage? Uh, all those kinds of things. How do you deal with uh, disks filling up, et cetera, et cetera. All those kinds of things. Um, we take care of. Right. Yeah, I didn't even think about the challenges of the cloud layer. Um, so so once once an engineer like like we're pre pre-managed Kafka, once an engineer has their Kafka deployment up and running, what are the the challenges that they might typically encounter on a day-to-day basis, like the operational challenges? Right. So some of that is is all all this failure handling stuff, right? But you don't see failure every day. 
Um, some of it is configuration. Uh, like you may not actually have tuned Kafka as well as it could be. You may not have. You know, like very likely, the pe all the people running Kafka are not Kafka experts. Um, so they're not going to tune it that well. They're not going to. Well, maybe right. Uh, they may not tune the operating system perfectly for Kafka because that's a whole ton of extra work. And then on the day-to-day -day stuff, um, there's a load of stuff around how do you authenticate, like creating topics and things like that. Um, like, so to use Kafka, you have to create a topic to put your messages on. And I know at certain companies, to create a topic is a week-long conversation with a DBA. I don't think I'm allowed to mention those companies' names right now, but to, it's like a week-long uh, uh, talk with the DBA around like how you should create a topic and all that stuff, uh, how you should configure it. Um, with Heroku, it's like you run the command line tool, and that's that. Um, and then from like from day-to-day -day usage, though, Kafka is pretty stable. Um, it's mostly worrying about failure and misconfiguration and things like that. Now, on a typical team at a typical company, who is in charge of keeping Kafka up and running? Is it a data engineer? Is there a DevOps person? Is it the application owner who's the consumer of Kafka? I think that really depends on the on the company and the team. But very often, you'll find you know a DevOps engineer being in charge of several things like this. Right? They'll be in charge of in general, like running servers in general, keeping databases up and running. Uh, and also, then Kafka sort of gets lumped in there. Um, yeah. And and are are these types of teams are how how much of the difficulties around Kafka are they typically able to automate? I mean, the 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 types of failure scenarios and the ongoing, you know, maybe Zookeeper issues are those automatable, or does it does it does it typically require a lot of manual intervention? Uh, I can I can speak to that because I used to run a Kafka cluster my, by myself on a on a side project of mine, uh, and very typically you don't automate because you think it's not worth your time, right? You're like, oh hey, I can just fix this one cluster now, and it probably won't have any like problems for another couple of months, and that's true very often, right? You can just fix your cluster right now; it doesn't take that long. Um, but the 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 downside of that is that you're not getting anything repetitive. If you want somebody else to like come along and maintain this thing with you, they have to pick up all these manual things you used to do. Um, they are like these kinds of failures are automatable. It's just challenging to do so. Indeed. Huh? So if, uh, I mean, just talking a little bit more about, um, how Kafka, you know, how people were, were, have been running Kafka, uh, assuming they're not using a managed Kafka service, if they're rolling their own, deploying their own, so if I'm working at a company with a Kafka cluster, and if I'm managing the Kafka cluster, and some developer spins up a service that starts publishing a billion events per second to the Kafka cluster that I am in charge of, does that Kafka cluster suddenly get dosed and I'm in charge of, of resolving uh, those types of problems? Are messages going to get dropped on the ground if I don't, if I don't figure out how to fix it? Right. Very, very probably you will be paged because Kafka goes down in that situation. Right. And this is a, this is another, another thing is that like most companies, when they're, when they're sized enough, you actually don't want just one cluster or maybe you want one cluster, but you don't really want one cluster for everybody, especially if somebody's going to be doing a high volume of traffic, you probably want to set up multiple clusters. And that's when like setting up automation really starts to become very important. Um, I went to the I went to the Kafka Summit this year, 
in San Francisco. And there were multiple large companies there who started out having one giant cluster. Um, Dropbox and Netflix both talked about this. They started out having one giant cluster and it just it just kept on, ha- they just kept on having problems where somebody would spin up a new service and they'd think, oh, you know, this doesn't really affect anybody else. I can just send, you know, all these messages through and it'll be fine. Like Kafka's really scalable and it is really scalable, but you, you have to have that communication with whoever's administering the Kafka cluster and say like, look, I'm going to start publishing a million more messages a second or a billion more messages a second. Right. And that's, that's a conversation you have to have. Um, if you have automation, potentially at least you can spin up your own uh, your own Kafka cluster for for the high volume applications separately. Mm. Okay, so is the self deployed? If I deploy my own Kafka cluster, mm-hmm. um, is it typically difficult to monitor and log? Is there is there a, a nice standardized way of monitoring and logging my Kafka cluster, or is this something that is more subjective? It's it's pretty subjective. I think it depends on what your what your team does for monitoring already. Um, like Kafka exposes metrics over JMX, which is a Java thing, a Java protocol for for exposing this kind of management stuff. Um, and you can get set up with monitoring that. Like if you use you know Nagios or uh, Sensu or something like that. Uh, or Graphite, all of these tools can be can be taught to pull metrics from Kafka and to to check its health and things like that. Um, of course, you you may not pull all the exact right metrics you need. You may not check the health in all the ways that we've seen Kafka fail, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but you you can definitely get started with that with monitor with uh, logging. Uh, that again depends on the company. Like very often, companies will have a thing like an Elasticsearch cluster set up. You know, with uh, Kibana and Logstash and things like that, um, or they'll use something like Splunk, and you can get Kafka to send logs to those things, but it's not standardized at all. It's mm. you know, do whatever your company does anyway. Right. Okay. So you are on the team for Heroku's new managed Kafka service, and full disclosure, Heroku is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. But um, I'm I'm happy to be doing this episode because. Uh, Heroku is a product I've used for many years, and um, I think managed Kafka is actually something that's that's quite needed by developers. So, why does and and I and I want to get into the business use the the business motivation for Heroku doing this eventually, but just from the standpoint of developers, why does using Kafka as a managed service solve some of the challenges? that we have been discussing. All right. So the 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 big thing I think is we've already seen all the problems. I mean, we haven't seen all of them, right? We nobody has seen 100% of the problems with Kafka. That's that's impossible. But we've seen more of them because we run more Kafka clusters. Um and and with regards to automation, we've been automating data services for, you know, I think close close to 10 years now with Heroku, uh specifically with Postgres. Um, so we have a lot of experience automating data services in this way, uh, and actually, uh, the Heroku the Heroku managed Kafka service sits on top of the same layer that manages Heroku Postgres. Um, so we have all the learnings of that team, all the experience, all the years of automation, um, all put together to build this new product. Okay. Well, so what about the the issue that we discussed of, you know. 
I'm a, I'm some developer within a, a, a big company, and the company has has its own Kafka cluster, and I spin up a new service and I start dosing Kafka. How would the managed Kafka service respond to that, for example? Right. So, firstly, like we can't save you from yourselves. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's 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 kind of part of the game. Uh, what kind of service is this? <laughs> we can save you from yourselves 99% of the time or something like that. <laughs> but if you right. really start dosing your Kafka cluster, you kind of you kind of hitting your own point there. We we have been looking into um, some recent things around limiting so that you can't actually dos yourself. Um, and that's that's definitely an ongoing area of improvement. Um, but the the other the other big thing is if you're running a managed Kafka cluster, spinning up a new one is trivial, right? It's it's one one command line like action or the, the click of a few buttons uh, and a web a web form uh, to spin up a new cluster. So if you do if you do foresee the need of hey we're going to do this high throughput thing, uh, you can just spin up a new cluster and it's not extra work. You don't suddenly have you know more pager burden for the team that's managing Kafka clusters at your company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. That's all taken care of by us. Um, and uh, so, likewise with monitoring, though, you would you would definitely get mon- monitoring. Uh, you definitely see some see some stuff in our dashboards about how much throughput you were doing now compared to previously. Um, in the case that you started DDoSing your cluster. So, can you talk more about like how does the developer experience compare? Between rolling your own Kafka deployment and using managed Kafka, because I, I like, I know the the first you know the Heroku was like I think the first service that I depl- ever deployed a web app on, and it was you know quite a seamless experience. And I've used other ways of deploying my web apps, and it's you know often requires more configuration. There's more gotchas. Uh, how does that does that experience that you're trying to replicate? Um, the the seamlessness. How does that compare um, to the the Kafka experience? How does that translate to the Kafka experience? What are the the deployment frictions that you're able to iron out in the Kafka domain? Right. There's there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> the 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 actual developer experience is very 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 similar to Heroku Postgres. So if you have used Heroku Postgres in the past, uh, the developer experience is almost exactly the same, except you know, instead of talking to Postgres, you're talking to Kafka, which is clearly, you know, a vast difference. And, uh, you know, we set more environment variables that you need to connect to your cluster. Um, but other than that, it's pretty seamless. You you tell Heroku, make me a Kafka add-on. Um, that takes a little while because we're spinning up, a, we spin up a whole dedicated cluster just for, just for you. Um, and then once that's ready, you can connect to it using the configuration uh variables in, in the environment variables in your app um, and start start using it. Um, the the only other thing is around creating topics and managing topics. So uh, that's done through the Heroku CLI. So you tell Heroku, I'd like to make a topic you know, called messages with 32 partitions. Um, and our automation then goes way behind the scenes and creates that topic for you. So there are some things that are sort of like managed Kafka in the market. For example, Amazon Amazon has Kinesis. Mm-hmm. How, how does Heroku Kafka compare to that? I think Kinesis is is interesting. Um, Kinesis is very similar to Kafka from a design perspective. It's clearly not open source. 
right? It's a proprietary thing. You're lo- you're mm-hmm. locking yourself into AWS. Um, it's at a it has a very particular set of uh, pricing points and pricing plans that may work very well for some people, may work less well for other people. Um, you are running in a in Kinesis, from my understanding, you're running in a big shared environment. Um, so if the Kinesis service itself has issues, very likely your application that talks through Kinesis will have issues. Whereas uh, the Heroku, uh, the Apache Kafka on Heroku, like the managed service, you're just running a, your own cluster. Like if our if our control plane software, for example, has um, has issues, your cluster very likely won't be impacted. Uh, there'll just be a, it's, it, there's just a cluster running on the cloud somewhere that you're connecting to, rather than a sort of big shared thing. And I think I think that the pricing and the the lock in of hey you've got this proprietary uh, protocol your application knows about Kinesis rather than Kafka, which is an open source tool. I think that's the big thing. Now, what Heroku has always done well is to take. I mean, Heroku is built on AWS. And Roku's always done a good job of taking AWS and adding an extra layer of better usability, more simplicity mm-hmm. on top of AWS. So why not do that with Kinesis instead of, you know, instead of building your own managed Kafka, why not do something like make Heroku PubSub and then you could just, I don't know, maybe you could you could use Kinesis or you could use Google PubSub or whatever APIs are are readily available and just kind of do the arbitrage there from a business standpoint right i think that's a that's an interesting potential direction i personally wasn't around for when we decided to do kafka but i can probably speak to it anyway um i think one of the one of the big things is this desire to not have lock-in for on behalf of our users right you're using the open source kafka you're not using heroku's you know pub sub experience you're using just normal kafka over normal tcp sockets just like you would and if you do want to you know, do a development version of that and run it on your laptop. That's fine. If you want to run it uh, inside a inside a customer's firewall, also fine. Um, of, of course, neither of those involve actually being able to use a managed Kafka service. You'd have to do the management of Kafka yourself again. But there's no, there's not a lock-in problem. Um, and especially when when your application is you know several years old, you you find yourselves at least at least sometimes you find yourself oh thinking oh hey I need to. I need to swap out this underlying technology. And it often turns out to be pretty difficult. Mm, indeed. So you have built at Heroku, there's been some other services like Heroku Postgres. What are what are the lessons from building past services? Like how Heroku Postgres, for example, what was transferable from the implementation lessons of Heroku Postgres to building a managed Kafka service? Uh, a huge amount. Um, the very first thing is that we are actually in the same code base that manages Heroku Postgres. So every time there's new ideas on that front, we you know automatically get them because we are in the same code base. We get to adopt them very quickly at least. Hmm. Um, and that's that's uh, that's challenging from other perspectives. Um, you know we do have this code base that knows about Kafka and Postgres and Redis, and that's a little complex. But it does mean we get to leverage all this all this experience. There's it built, sort of built into the code base at this point. And there's all there's an awful lot of uh, interesting and good lessons I think in in that particular piece of software. Um, the some of some of the biggest ones are to do with sort of principled things, right? Like 
not not implementation decisions, but how do you even start writing software like this? How do you write software that manages, you know, for Heroku Postgres, manages a million databases with one person on call for all of them without that person going, like, mad? How do you do that? <laughs> um, and, you know, we got the same thing to apply to Kafka. And the principles, there are, there are a bunch of principles. They're not written down anywhere, I don't think, but um, we definitely... Somewhere, we definitely somewhere in Amazon. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I mean... I think they're in a GitHub repo somewhere. Um, actually, hang on. Give me one second, because I had, uh, I have them somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because most of the conversations around these types of managed services are how do you build stuff on top of managed services? But there has been less that has been written about how the heck do you actually build these things? Especially because you know, like the earliest cloud service providers like uh, AWS and Microsoft are so secretive about how they build these things that, uh, and now today we have many other companies that are building these managed services. So kind of like the secrets of how you actually build something like this is is a, a little more clandestine. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it is. And I, I, I like talking about this stuff because it sort of opens you up to realizing, hey, this is just code, right? It, it, it does a lot and it encompasses a lot of lessons and it's tricky to run at times for sure, but it is just code. And the same, the same applies to Kafka itself. Um, like, and all Postgres or whatever, it's just a piece of software. Um, and if you're an engineer and you're, you're fearless enough, you can, you can go work on these things pretty happily. So anyway, I, I have my list of principles <laughs> finally. Um, so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about some principles. So I think, I think the biggest, the biggest, design principle of Heroku Postgres that has saved us so much time and effort throughout the years is this idea that we don't run very much on servers. And that sounds kind of a little obtuse and and weird, um, but let let me talk about it a bit more. On a server that we run Kafka on, we only run Kafka on it. We don't run a agent that does monitoring or anything else like that. Everything everything like that is done from the outside. so we have this, and actually it is a Heroku application. We have this Heroku app out there that does all the monitoring and all the automation from the outside. And the thing, the reason this is so important, and like if anybody's ever looking at a thing like this, I think this is the number one lesson. Uh, the reason this is so important is you can deploy your application really quickly, right? We deploy to, to the software that runs Heroku Postgres, Heroku Kafka. We deploy to that software 20, 30 times a day, every day, if we find a bug in it, we just fix it. If you contrast that to a alternative model where you run an agent on every instance, that agent deploying to that agent, if you have 10,000 instances, is going to take a while. It's going to be complicated. Um, and I think that, that that is definitely my number one my number one takeaway is if you're building this kind of managed hosted thing, you have to go from the outside. You have to install as little as possible on the instances um, and and do everything from the outside because it means you get this sort of iteration speed thing that is so important in all development, really. I think. Um, then there's there's a very there's a very obvious one which is uh, you should like automatically resolve things that you can automatically resolve. For example, when AWS tells us that an instance needs rebooting, like we'll do that automatically. No engineer gets paged. Uh, in po- with Postgres, the user will get receive an email because they'll likely be getting downtime during that. Um, with Kafka, they don't because they won't because it's a distributed system and it handles failure well. Um, and so then there's loads of other examples. There's probably 
a few hundred different cases of types of failure we've seen that we have completely automated around. So an engineer doesn't get paged. And yes, you can run you know, a million databases or you know, lots and lots of Kafka clusters with one person on call, and it's fine. Uh, it's not a problem. Um, that kind of automated resolution is just, it's, it's very simple, though. It's like, you, you have to have some, some software out there that's doing health checking and monitoring the state of EC2's API and so on. And when it detects a problem, it runs some code to resolve that problem in whatever, whatever manner it deems uh, reasonable. Mm. Now, so we had a company called Scaffold.io on the show a while ago. They were building GraphQL as a service. And I don't know, it's just made me wonder about all of these engineering difficulties of this domain of of you know self-serve developer services, managed developer services. Are there any other abstract lessons that you have been learning maybe through um, just through building this or through, you know, you had an early access release um, where there were some users using it. Um, maybe, you know, as you've been ramping up to general availability, there have been other interesting lessons that can be applied to just, you know, anybody out there who is building a managed service. Yeah, I think there are definitely much. One of them, and this is a general Heroku principle, is that you your users shouldn't have to configure very much most of the time. Um, like, I think Heroku internally says like settings are evil or something like that. Like every single setting you add to your product is another avenue of flexibility that users have to think about. And that's a user experience problem, right? Like that's that's a big user experience problem. And then on the other side though, as a person running the managed service, that's an avenue where things can go wrong, right? If you allow the user to configure, you know, settings in general. Every different kind of setting, you know some user out there is going to crank that up to you know, the max and play with all the values uh, in every different kind of way. And that's a waste of time for them very often. Very often you can pick same defaults that actually just work for everybody. Um, and it's a waste of time for you because then when you get eventually get paged because your automation couldn't handle this you know, very weirdly configured thing, uh, you don't have to debug all these configuration options. I think that's a big that's a big like general lesson for managed services. And I think software as a service in general is like configuration is pretty tricky. I definitely I definitely have a lot more a lot more points on the uh, on the principles of like running a managed like database as a service kind of thing. But I'm happy to take other questions. As well, well, so you know how similar. How similar is building a managed Kafka to building a managed database? Because you built Heroku Postgres and Heroku Redis. Is is um, Kafka? Are, are there enough similarities that you just you see a lot of parallels between building managed Kafka and these managed databases? Yep, very much so. Um, Kafka's a bit different from Postgres and Redis in that it's a clustered thing. Like with Postgres, you'll have a you have a secondary that you'll fail over to in the case of disaster. Same with Redis. Um, but Kafka is very much a, hey, you have multiple nodes and they all talk to each other and they all do all the work all the time. And that's definitely a big uh, jump. But other than that, Kafka is effectively a database um, from an operations standpoint, right? It, it writes stuff to disk. It talks over the network to, to applications. Um, it stores data on behalf of them. This, that's a database. Um, it's not a long-term database. It's not a thing that you can query like you, you do with SQL or whatever. But from an operations standpoint, it's very, very similar. Mm. So what happens, you know, when, when a user 
spins up a Kafka cluster on Heroku, or a user mm-hmm. says, you know, I want to get started with 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 Kafka, what what happens on the back end uh, on Heroku <laughs> servers? A whole a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> and nearly all of that work is again performed by this uh, this Heroku app, um, the the control plane, I guess I, I can call it. Um, I don't want to talk about internal names uh, just because it, it might get confusing. Um, so the control plane software gets notified, hey, we need to spin up a Kafka cluster. Um, it then launches EC2 instances, um, waits for those to become available. Uh, it attaches attaches hard drives to them, attaches like uh, elastic IPs to them, for those of you who are familiar with AWS. Um, and then it starts installing Kafka on those, and Zookeeper on some of them uh, on those servers and sort of connecting them up and configuring them. Uh, then we set up uh, access controls because Kafka, as of 0.9, has very good uh, user controls. Um, so we set up uh, specific access controls for the customer to access Kafka and then different ones for Kafka to talk to itself internally. Um, so we set up those and then once all that's done, and that takes that takes a little bit of time. Once all that's done, we we go back to the user and we say, "Hey, here's your Kafka. You know, it's at these IP addresses um, or these host names. Sorry, and you know, here's how you connect to it." Um, okay, yeah. that's a lot of stuff. So, no, no, no. It's it's uh, is what we expect on Software Engineering Daily. Can you give me an idea of what kinds of load testing you did when you were building it, and like, what are the kinds of you know, vertical or horizontal scaling that you realized you had to put in place, or um, you know, if you, you know, if you had to have an excess of users that you know signed up for Kafka all at the same time, I don't know. Give me an idea of some of the load testing. Yep. Um, so, with regards to load testing the control plane already, um, we have not done a huge amount of testing there because we have Heroku Postgres, which is ancient, and we have you know lots and lots of users of that. Of that, I mean, like I said, a million databases. Um, so the control plane itself is already under load, <laughs> um, and it's doing very well. Like it's not it's not having issues at all, really, for the most part. Uh, I I shouldn't say that because it's like a curse when you say things like that in operations. <laughs> um, but the other especially, yeah, especially two hours after making it generally available. Right. Yep. And I'm not on call right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You should never say things like that. My. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to go into that story. Uh, so the the other kind of load testing that we have done a significant amount of is load testing on Kafka itself. Like, our users, you know, come to us and they're like, hey, we're thinking of writing this application on top of Kafka. Like, will it actually scale? Will it actually work for this for this use case? And they want to know how much throughput you can do. Um, so right now, uh, on a eight-node cluster, um, we can do about one and a million, one and a half million messages a second. Um, both in and out of Kafka. Those are relatively small messages. Um, and that's sort of the highest highest end we've gone to so far. Like, one and a half million messages a second is an awful lot of messages for most people. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely perfectly sufficient for every need that any customer has talked to us about so far. Um, we haven't tested, though I'd actually... I'm actually very interested in doing that. I might, I might give that a go this week, testing a much mm. larger cluster and seeing what we can push it to. Mm. Um, but so far, we've we've sort of said, hey, these are actually the the plans that we've we've released can do this much throughput, and that's actually pretty sufficient for most applications. Okay, so you know, I want to start to um, draw to a close. 
you know, today when most applications get built and they don't have many users, they don't have a high volume messaging requirement. They they probably don't have a ton ton of events, maybe because they don't have tons of consumers or just because of the way that most people build applications these days. But I can imagine applications in the near future where even just one user or a few users would require Kafka-like infrastructure, you know, maybe IoT applications, for example, or connected car stuff. So are, I mean, do you think that's a, is that, is that a near reality? Are we, are we nearing that day where, you know, many more people will need Kafka from day one, the way that they need like a Ruby on Rails application from day one today? I think so, at least, at least for some domains. There's an awful lot of, I think there's an awful lot of space, business-wise at least, that can be perfectly sufficed with a small Rails app, you know, a Postgres database, and <laughs> like two Heroku dinos. And like, I know, I know of plenty of businesses that look like that and make, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year. And that, they don't care. But that's Yeah, that's web, that's web 2.0. Right, that's Web 2.0. <laughs> that's definitely not everybody at all. Um, and I think I think this this kind of evented future is definitely a thing that's that's going to happen. Um, I think Internet of Things is one one part. One of the one of the things is just this move towards decoupling your applications, so you don't have a single place that knows about everything, um, and you have sort of a me- more messaging uh, based flow through the system. That's another like big thing that is a trend that I see, and Kafka fits that kind of use case very well as well. Yeah, certainly. There's also the serverless movement. I think the Heroku managed Kafka fits into the the serverless idea pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what have been the results of the early access release, and what are you expecting to see with you know now that Heroku Kafka is generally available? Um, in terms of users, in terms of my pager burden, um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of anything interesting, um, I think I think right now it's it's a a period. We we definitely had some interesting applications built in the in the early access stuff. Um, I think now now that we're generally available, it's sort of looking forward to seeing what people build. Really, um, there there definitely takes a little bit of time to get it set up with uh, Kafka, but like you can build some interesting things on top of it. And yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. Definitely. Uh, I guess one last question: Do you use the open source build of Kafka, or like, are you just pulling off the head of the head of the Kafka branch, or are, did you build your own fork of Kafka? Nope. We we run the open source Kafka. Um, we've submitted patches to it because we find things that are broken, um, but we we completely use the open source version. Um, okay. There's no, there's no Heroku secret source or anything. It's, it's, right. it's just open source Apache Kafka. Very cool. All right. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a, a great, interesting conversation. And um, thanks to Heroku for being a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. And I am looking forward to checking out Managed Kafka the next time I am actually writing software as opposed to just talking about it. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. 
Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.